scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 25. The word of God speaks to us. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, none without meaning. But if, you, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. The tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word to us. I will apologize before we get started. Uh, something attacked my throat last night in the evening and decided to tickle it all this morning. So we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. Hey, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Knight. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if, uh, if you're new here, welcome. Love to get to know you. Really glad you're here. And, and I want to say specifically, if you're here and you're not a Christian, thanks for being here. It means a lot to us that you would be here. And I'll just say this. There are no questions off limits, and there's no skepticism or disbelief that will get you pushed out the door. So uh, if there's questions that brought you in the room this morning or maybe questions that emerged as we, as we talk, um, today, then let's talk about them. So I'd love to talk to you after service if that's you, but I, just, I do want to say thanks for being here. Hey, I want to pray for you and ask you to pray for me. We've got some work to do. That text, uh, if you weren't uh, nervous coming in, maybe you are now, um, we got some work to do, but I really do feel like the Lord is going to do some profound things in our church um, through his word like he always does. So let's pray and ask him to, to meet us. God, would you speak to us? And would you 
give us understanding as to not just what you were saying to the church at Corinth, but the fact that this is recorded in Holy Scripture for us. This is for us. So I pray that you would speak not to the, to the general church, but to my friends in the room. You'd speak to Frontline here in Yukon this morning. Would you, would you shape us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? And would you equip us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, what we are talking about this week falls straight on the heels of what we talked about last week. And in one sense, you could say that today is kind of part two uh, to what was part one last week. So if you weren't here, uh, I would strongly encourage you to go back. You can go on our website and grab the audio uh, from that and listen, because there's a lot of things that are going to be, in a sense, assumed um, based on we, what we walked through last week and what we talk about today, I can't re-preach that sermon. And if you were here last week, you're like, yeah, it was a long one. You definitely can't preach that one. And then another one, that's for sure. So what I'm going to do is um, work off of some of the knowledge that we had from last week. Um, but I also want to say this. There are things that we at Frontline talk about all the time, and there are things that we talk about infrequently or occasionally. If you've been with us for any length of time, you're going to hear us talk about the gospel and why the gospel matters over and over and over and over again. You're going to hear us talk about how the gospel frees us in Jesus uh, to follow Jesus. And you're going to hear us talk regularly about God at work in our neighborhoods and in our city because he is the one who is advancing his kingdom in the world and he sends us out on mission, but it's his work among us. And we're going to talk about that all the time. We're going to talk about what does it mean to walk in a life of repentance. You're going to hear us talk about what does it mean to be devoted to the word. You're going to hear us talk about these things all the time. There are also some things that you'll hear us talk about occasionally, not because they don't matter, but because they're not central. Okay. Uh, not because they don't matter, but because they're not central and spiritual gifts is one of those things. Now, if you're, if you've only been with us for a couple of months, you may go, all you seem to talk about is spiritual gifts. And that's because we're walking through this section of first Corinthians. But I do want to say like, this is actually not the thing that we're going to talk about all the time because it's not the most important thing, but properly understood what Paul is talking about here is for the church to lead us to those things that are central to those things that do matter. I received a number of questions uh, after last week, obviously. Um, it was a challenging text dealing with some hard questions. And um, I wasn't able to answer all those questions this week, and I won't be able to answer all of them today. But as our, our pastors gather every, uh, every week to pray for each other and pray for the church and pray for our community, and this Sunday, or this, this week, Tuesday, as we were praying, I, I, had, I, had, I had a sense of the Lord reminding me of this story in Second Kings in 2 Kings, Elisha is leading the people of Israel as a prophet. And in, in this particular moment, there's, a, there's a, a series of encounters that Israel is having with surrounding armies. And in this particular case, the Syrian army has come upon them. And Syria has surrounded them. And what's happening is the, the people in Israel are nervous because they feel, this, they feel this army surrounding them and they don't think they can match it. And so there's concern. So Elisha stands there and he has a servant with him. And I'm just going to read this. It's not going to be on your screen. I just want you to hear these words. And I want you to imagine being in this situation. You're surrounded by an invading army and you don't look, it does not look like you have the forces to push them back. 
It says that when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he, Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, let me just stop. By all accounts, that's a, that's an utterly false statement. Because if all you do is look out and count the army around them and count their army, the, 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 the army invading is way more. But Elisha says that do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And then listen to this. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I say that because of this. The scripture from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation tells us of encounters in which the Spirit of God is at work in ways that we cannot see. There are things that we, uh, uh, that are, we feel opposition from. There are enemies around us, threats around us, things around us that feel like they're overwhelming and swirl around us. But the, but the God who is with us is the God who is with us in all things and a God of all power. And he is often meeting us in places we can't see. I say that because spiritual gifts are one of the ways in which God mysteriously works in and through his people in ways that we can't necessarily see. It's hard to see. I want that in mind as we step into this uh, section of First Corinthians, and I want to ask the question, or I want to start with the question of what's going on here in Corinth. For us to understand why Paul says what he says, we need to understand what's happening in Corinth at this particular time. And the reason that Paul is talking primarily here about tongues and prophecy is because these are the two gifts that right now are getting the church at Corinth in a lot of trouble. These are the two particular gifts in which they are going haywire. And so Paul's speaking about these gifts, not because they're the most important gifts, but because they're the particular gifts that the church is using or misusing in this particular case. What Paul is saying is that many of the people in Corinth were flaunting their gifts. They were flaunting their gifts. They were spending a whole lot of time trying to do things that look spectacular and experience things that felt spectacular as a way of pushing, uh, pushing out this image of them being hyper-spiritual. There were people that wanted they, that saw the gifts or the manifestation of the gifts as signs of extreme spirituality, and I want you to know how godly I am. So they were chasing these gifts, not in order to serve others, but to flaunt their own spirituality and their own position. They weren't considering the impact of their actions on visitors and unbelievers that were with them. And they were chasing experience and spectacle. So what Paul does here is he's going to bring correction in two ways. He's going to correct their theology and he's going to correct their practice. He's going to correct their theology and he's going to correct their practice. The first is his correction of theology. We talked about this last week when we talked about 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5. There are three things that Paul teaches about tongues and three things about prophecy there that I want to remind us of as we step into the rest of this. Paul reminds the church that tongues are to God first, that they are to God. In other words, what the fundamental to what tongues are is they are prayers, songs, praises to God. 
number one. Number two, they are mysteries in the spirit. In other words, we're articulating burdens that we carry, longings that we have, but that transcend words, and we don't have the words to articulate in our current vernacular. And so we, we are giving voice to something that seems to transcend our ability to articulate. So they are to God, and they are mysteries in the spirit. But then number three, tongues are meant to edify the one speaking them. Tongues are meant to edify the self. So Paul is not against gifts serving you because God is wanting to serve you as well. And Paul's not against tongues. He talks about, hey, I'm actually really grateful that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He doesn't mean that at bragging. He just goes, I know the benefit for my soul. And so I wish you had it. I wish you prayed more in this too. That's three things about tongues. But then he also corrects by talking about three things about prophecy. He says a prophecy is not to God like tongues is. Prophecy is to others. So it's something that God is saying through us to other people, but the point is to speak to others. Second, that what we utter are words of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And the goal of prophecy is third, to edify the church. Okay, so why, why, these, why I want to remind us of these three things is this is why Paul critiques the church on their use of tongues quite, uh, quite specifically. Because what they were doing was they were seeing their tongue speaking as a way of establishing their credentials or elevating their, themselves, and they weren't considering what was happening around them. And so he corrects their theology, but then he moves to correcting their practice. Now, here's what's fascinating. If I was Paul, and there's good reason why I'm not, I would have said, stop it. I would have just said to the Corinthians, hey, on the spiritual gifts, stop it. Next chapter. Why? Because they're nuts. They're nuts. Like they're, they're, not, they're not pursuing these gifts with any, any sense of the goodness for other people. They're flaunting this. They're abusing this. They're hurting people. They're hurting people by their misuse of the gifts. But here's, I want to I I lean in on this really heavy. Paul doesn't say stop it. He says start using it properly. That's really important. That even when it's being abused and misused, Paul doesn't say stop it. He says let's correct it. Let's not stop doing this. Let's do this rightly. Look at verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? You see, he reminds them that spiritual gifts are intended to serve the church broadly. He's reminding them that the goal of these gifts is actually to edify and to build up. And so if what's happening in these gifts is not edifying, then it's actually improper use. So he tells him, if there's tongues but no interpretation, it's just going to sound like gibberish to people around you, and it's going to do them no good. Stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. He's saying that tongues, even without interpretation, is good for the self, but don't bring that into the, into the public gathering without interpretation because it has no place there. There are three things that I think ways in which misuse affects us or it affects Corinth that I want to highlight that I think we need to be aware of. The first is this, that misuse creates confusion. Misuse creates confusion. Look at verses 7 through 11. 
If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will be ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. You see, what was happening was their misuse of tongues was creating epic confusion. People were coming in. They don't know what's being said. They're not understanding what's happening. The, 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 there's, there's no awareness generally of spiritual gifts among some of the people coming in that are far from Jesus and that don't understand the spiritual gifts and don't understand this stuff. And it just creates confusion. I think when he talks here about uh, if, if a flute or a harp give no distinct notes, uh, how will anyone know what is played? He's pointing to the fact that without, uh, without interpretation, tongues it brings a lack of clarity. When he says that if the bugle has an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle is saying that it le- leads to a lack of unity. And when he says, when he talks about the, the tongues being a speech that others don't understand, it will lead to a lack of intelligibility. He said, that's not helpful. Be aware of what's happening. Sam Storm says it this way in a brilliant little book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, which I do recommend if, it's, if, if this is something you're like, hey, I need to dive in more. I want to understand more. I have a lot of questions. Um, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms is highly recommended. Is what he says. The problem in Corinth was not that they spoke in tongues, but that those who did so thought themselves spiritually superior or more highly favored than those who didn't. To make matters worse, they were using the gift in the public gathering of the church without accompanying interpretation. Paul addressed the former problem in 1 Corinthians 12 to 13 and takes up the latter here in chapter 14. This misuse of the gift leads to confusion. The second way that we, the second thing about misuse we need to be aware of, misuse hinders the gospel. Misuse hinders the gospel. Look at verses 21 through 23. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even when they will not listen to me, says the Lord, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are all out of your minds? Paul's, one of his main concerns with this, uh, this misuse of the gift of tongues is that it will distance people from the very gospel that, they are, that is their only hope. Now, the, talking about signs may sound kind of confusing at first. In the Old Testament, a number of times the prophets came to Israel and said that God's judgment was going to be upon them when people would come and speak his word to them in languages they didn't understand. And here's why that was punishment. Here's why that was judgment. It was to say, because of your sin, you have distanced yourself from the promises of God. So there, was pro- there were prophetic ways in which God was judging Israel by having his word come to them in languages they didn't understand. What Paul is saying is, that's not the job of tongues, but when you do tongues like that, that's the effect. Is what we're telling people is that you are actually outside the promises of God, pushed away from the offer of the gospel, and you are different. 
And he goes, that shouldn't be our point. Our point in the gathering is to gather around the gospel and that's the gospel to meet us, to speak to us, to free us, that we might look like Jesus. So he's like, your misuse of the gospel is actually a hinder, or your misuse of tongues is actually a hindrance to the gospel. That's why this matters. That's why this matters. They were creating a stumbling block. The third thing about misuse I want us to, to look at is that misuse emerges out of immaturity. Misuse emerges out of immaturity. Let's look at verse 20. Paul says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in, e- of, in evil, but in your thinking be mature. See, this is actually Paul's main point. His main point is that church, Corinth, the reason things are going wrong is you're acting like a child. Now, all the parents in the room, especially the ones that have little ones right now, or maybe you've just babysat, or maybe you've been one of these children. Children are selfish little boogers. Aren't they? Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. What about me? What about mine? One of the things that we hope to mature in as we get older is that we stop being so selfish. Now, some of us have gotten past that. Some of us are still working on it. Actually, in all of, in all of us, we're all working towards this. I don't want to try to shame you guys or act like some of you have arrived. because None of us have, right? But moving towards maturity means moving towards seeing others first. Maturity means selflessness, not selfishness. Paul's saying that their main problem is that they're selfish. They're not utilizing their gifts in order to love and serve others. They're using them to elevate self. This immaturity emerged out of a lack of love, and selfish motives are immature motives. Let me say that again. Selfish motives are immature motives. So Paul here calls them to maturity. I think there's a couple of different ways in which this immaturity um, manifest itself. And in many ways, it manifests itself by pitting two things against each other that shouldn't be pit against each other. The first way in which this shows up is that immaturity pits self against others. Either I'm going to benefit or you're going to benefit, but I pit them against each other. And often immaturity is going to focus on the self. What can I gain from this? The second thing that immaturity does, it pits the spirit against the truth. The spirit against the truth. As if there's some benefit to everything seeming so mysterious and so outlandish and so inaccessible that that's better. And if you're teaching a Bible study on Romans, well, that's just kind of boring and plain. Remember when Jesus encounters the woman at the well and he says to her that that those that worship me, I want to worship me in spirit and in truth. That they should not be pitted against each other. They actually should be unified. Third, immaturity leads or pits mystery against clarity. Now, I said this last week, and I'll I'll say it again. If God never surprises you, you're not seeing him clearly. He's mysterious. The things that he does that I don't understand. Ways in which I can't contain him. But if you think that God is only like this mysterious kind of ghost of a presence that hides behind uh, vague notions, then you haven't read your Bible. Your Bible is clear, given to us. In other words, what we actually need is we need the mystery, but we also need clarity. I need to know who to believe. 
I need, I need to know what Jesus has done. I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. So we need mystery, yes, but we need clarity. And the fourth, immaturity leads to pit experiences against discipleship. Guys, church is not here to scratch every itch that you have. We don't gather as followers of Jesus to experience something. We gather to be formed into the image of Jesus. Now, are there going to be experiences? Yes. I'm not saying there aren't experiences. I, I can think back into my life at profound moments where God caught me off guard in some way and showed up in a particular way that I couldn't explain. But I also know that even those experiences are given in order to teach me what it means to follow Jesus. So if that's what immaturity looks like, what does maturity look like? And I want to go quickly here, but I'm going to hit these pretty quick. And I'm going to ask you to write them down. And, and I want you to spend some time this week in, this, in these texts, these, these verses. And I want you to ask the Lord how he might lead you to mature way of seeing these things. Three things about what maturity looks like. The first is maturity in regarding the gifts looks like mature desire. Mature desire. Look at verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, listen to this, strive to excel in building up the church. I love this. See, Paul doesn't say, I don't want you to desire experiences with the spirit. He's just saying, I want you, I want you to desire that, but I want you to desire that for others. I want you to work, strive, endeavor to serve others, to realize that these gifts are given to you, not for you, but for others. So I want you to strive to build up the church. Mature desire comes out of love, friends. I don't want you to want spiritual gifts just simply so that you can put that on some kind of a business card. Hey, look at my spiritual gift. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in you understanding and desiring spiritual gifts that you might build up others in this church. Mature desire doesn't desire the gifts for self. It desires the gifts for others that we can serve. The second thing maturity looks like is mature pursuit. Mature pursuit. Look at verses 13 through 19. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. It's a question we need to ponder more often. What should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, and I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Listen to this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Look, this is not a brag from Paul. Paul isn't saying, hey, I've got the upper end on you. He's just saying this. I have benefited so much from tongues in my own life that I want you to experience it too. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But then look at this, verse 19. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, he sees the value in tongues, but he recognizes that in the corporate gathering, in the public gathering of the saints, the more important thing is clear words articulated. Clear words articulated. 
So we pursue these gifts. Immaturity leads to a, a, a pursuit out of humility. I'm not coming bragging and going, hey, look at me, look at, look at all I can do. I'm coming humbly with a desire to serve. Again, what we, what we read a while ago, that we're striving to excel in building up the church. I think a mature pursuit has, has, has a, a posture that, hang on just a sec. Sorry. There's a particular posture, I think, in a mature pursuit a, 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 a posture of anticipation and longing. But I think there's two things I want to say what that posture isn't. A, a mature posture of, of pursuit of the gifts is not grasping and it's not stiff-arming. It's not grasping and it's not stiff-arming. In other words, I'm not like, well, how can I get that gift? And can I get that gift? And how fast can I get that gift? And I want that one too. And then I'm, I'm trying to find myself a way to hype myself or hype the experience so that I can chase after all these gifts. That's actually a really unhealthy posture regarding the gifts. But so is the stiff-arm. I don't really want that gift. I really don't want the gifts at all. They concern me. They, 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 they create fear. I'm just going to stiff-arm them. I think a proper posture won't grasp and it won't stiff arm. Third, maturity in these gifts looks like mature use. Mature use. Look at verses 24 through 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul is mentioning the fact that context matters. Context matters. What Paul is what Paul is concerned of and what he keeps talking about is who's in the room and how should that shape the use of the gifts. In other words, the gifts are not things that you're out of control with and you're just possessed by the spirit and you do whatever you want to do. That's not the way that the gifts operate. The gifts operate aware of what's happening in the room, who's in the room. If there's somebody in the room and us moving in that spiritual gift would create division or disharmony or distance ourselves from them, hey, let's, let's not do that. Because then he talks about what proper use would look like when he talks here about that prophecy rightly, uh, uh, rightly engaged or rightly used actually leads people to faith. We should want that. We should want that. He's saying that the gifts used improperly lead to people distanced from the gospel, but, but, but gifts properly used actually lead to gospel fruit. We need to be open, frontline, to the work of the Spirit. And I think that will look like five things that we're will, or four things that we're willing to do. Will, that we as a church are willing to listen to the Spirit. We're willing to learn from the Scriptures. We're willing to risk. And we're willing to receive correction. I can tell you that the, the, one of the first times that I felt like the Lord gave me a prophetic word for somebody, it was taking some risk to step out. And almost every single time, like, you're just not... I, I'm going to submit in humility. I think God might be saying this, but it takes some risk. I also need to be willing to be corrected if I do something improperly. Okay, so that's Corinth. That's immaturity and maturity. What about us? What about us? These verses, Paul writes to Corinth to correct them, but these are captured in Holy Scripture for us. 
And so they do speak to us. I want to remind us of a couple of things as we talk a little bit about what this could look like for us to move forward forward into this as a church. The first thing I want to remind us of is this. Spiritual gifts are not about the gifts. It's not about the gifts. I've been in so many circles where it felt like the spiritual gifts uh, or the, the work of the Spirit was like the thing. That's all we ever talked about. That's the thing that's on display. That's the thing that we're putting on our billboards and things that we're projecting, we're hoping everybody sees. And the gifts become this end of them, in, in, in and of themselves. And that's, you couldn't be further from Scripture. The whole point of the gifts is to point us to Jesus. The whole point of the gifts is to point us to the gospel. The whole point of the gifts is to lead us into maturity in the things of the faith. The whole point of the spiritual gifts is to edify and to serve those around us and to be served by the Spirit ourselves. That's the point. As soon as gifts become the thing, we've lost the thing. The thing isn't gifts. The thing is Jesus. But the gifts lead us to him. Second, I want to say this, that God works through us in ways that we often miss. I think there's a uh, improper way of understanding the gifts where I feel like somehow I have to be able to label it in order for it to be actually a spiritual gift. I have to be able to tell you what it was in order for it to be a gift. And I'll just say, that's just not true. God gives gifts to you that you may not be aware he's given you. You may not be able to label it. It may not have shown up in a spiritual gifts test that you took at some other church. It may not have shown up like that. But, but I just know, and I've talked to some of you, like the way in which you move towards other people when they're hurting is a spiritual gift that the whole body recognizes. The ways in which some of you move towards other people to encourage or to challenge is a gift. Some of you hear from the Spirit of God and hear understanding from His Word and submit it to the, to the Word and share it in a way that really serves other people well. I don't care whether you have a label for it or not. God is working through your gifts even when you're not aware He's working through your gifts. You don't have to be able to label it for it to count. I think it's also fun. There's this story from... Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a well-known preacher in London in the 1800s. And he confessionally would actually disagree with us on these views of the gifts. We talked about a few weeks ago that we believe that all gifts that were given to the church continue to today. And there's a number of people, maybe many of you in the room are like, hey, I think some of the more miraculous ones faded away. That was just for the first century. That's not for, for now. And that would have been, that was what Spurgeon would have taught. And yet he tells stories of things. I'm like, hey, man, I like that was prophecy. <laughs> like he would, he would be preaching in the, on the middle of a Sunday, and the Lord highlighted one person that he had never met, gave him insight into what had happened that week where that man had sinned. And he says in that moment, God's calling you to repent. And he repented because nobody should have been able to know what he knew. That was the Spirit of God giving him insight. Would he have called it prophecy? No, he wouldn't have because of his theology. Would I call it prophecy? I think so. Third thing to keep in mind, spiritual gifts are good gifts from a good God that are for our good. I said this like 50 times in our sermon last week. They are good gifts from a good God. So whatever we're concerned of, wherever we're apprehensive, let me just say this. Whatever the gifts are, they're good, and they're from a good God for our good. 
So what does it look like to pursue the gifts at Frontline? Chad's going to talk some more about this, so I'm just going to push all the hard questions to him for next week. When we wrap up the chapter 14, we talk about what order in worship looks like. I also want to say this, like this is something that we're going to work out over time. There are way more questions that, that are in this room than we can address right now, okay? But what I want us to do is I want us to commit together as a people to pursue these things together over time. I want us to be patient, but I also want us to be diligent. I want us to be patient, but I want us to be diligent. But we at, time, we at Frontline believe that all the gifts that God gave the early church are still for us today. And that means that there are times you're never going to see tongues exercised right here on a Sunday morning. Why? Well, because of what Paul just said. Like, even if there was an interpretation, we might weigh that and consider that. That probably still wouldn't even be for this moment. But tongues doesn't, it, tongues is good even for the speaker, even if they don't receive understanding because they're uttering mysteries in their spirit that build them up. But God sometimes will give understanding to those speaking in tongues a way that edifies through knowledge. And there are ways in which God brings interpretation. Let me ask you this, though. How will you know if you have the gift of interpretation of tongues if you're never either praying in tongues or around it? a story a number of years ago from one of our leaders in the South, Frontline South. He was in a room. It was a smaller gathering, so it wasn't a Sunday, and there was somebody praying in tongues, and just, just to the side, and this guy came to, to my friend Andrew, who's the lead pastor there, and said, hey, I think I know what he's praying. Yeah, it's probably the interpretation, <laughs> but how would he have known unless somebody was speaking tongues, or if he was? I don't know. In other words, this, Paul says that tongues should not be used in the public gathering without interpretation, but he's not speaking to every possible gathering of Christians. I can tell you that there are moments in the life of the church among some of our leaders who have shared theology, shared understanding of these things, and we're not, there won't be people praying in tongues in order to flaunt it, but there will be people bringing desperate need to the Father, praying in tongues in order to receive from him, and if they're given an interpretation, they'll share that, but if not, then they, then they will be edified and they'll bring their edified self to the whole. But sometimes in small gatherings where there's understanding and agreement, in other words, if it's not going to lead to confusion, it's okay. Prophecy, much the same way. Chad's going to talk more about this in terms of what interpretation or what, what weighing of prophecy looks like. But I mentioned last week, 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us to don't, don't forsake or don't push prophecy away, but weigh every word given and test it against Scripture. You see, prophecy in our day is not like what we think of as Old Testament prophets where they're standing up saying, thus saith the Lord, and writing what will be Scripture. Prophets in the New Testament sense are reminding us of Scripture and, and ways in which the Spirit applies Scripture to particular people in particular places in particular circumstances. There's no thus saith the Lord in this. There's humility, there's love, and there's risk. And I can just say this. I've seen some of the most profound moments of ministry happen when somebody said, hey, I think the Lord might be saying this. And then it's weighed together. It's processed together. And then it's held, not as above Scripture, but underneath Scripture. Now, the reality is these gifts will be exercised in different contexts or differently in different contexts. And that makes sense. There, there are gifts that make sense for the public gathering. And there are gifts that don't. 
There are gifts that make sense in community group gatherings that don't necessarily make sense here. The gifts are given to the church and they will be exercised differently based on the context, and that's okay. <coughs> you, may not, you may not have put the pieces together, but there are many times when on a Sunday morning, Somebody comes up at the close of the service, calls the prayer team up and says, hey, as we were praying this morning, we had a sense that the Lord might be saying this to somebody in the room if that's you coming at prayer. You know what that was? It was a prophetic word that was weighed by the elders, held by to be under scripture and just shared with the body. That's how we want to move in these gifts. But we're going to do that differently in smaller gatherings. We have a gathering that happens on the second Wednesday of every month in which a lot of our leadership from the church will gather together just for a time of prayer and worship and seeking seeking the the Spirit of God to speak to us and through us. And it's just really, really beautiful. And like this last Wednesday, um, again, we're in a context in which there aren't outsiders that are going to be distanced or put off by what's happening in this moment. And so there was more freedom in the exercise of the gifts because we're, we're together in understanding these things. And the number of prophetic words, the number of senses that the Lord gave to different people that were shared with the room that led to profound ministry time was just beautiful. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. I personally was, and I share this not to, to, to do anything other than I want to demystify these things because sometimes we're like, how, how, what, what's tongues, what's prophecy? And it feels so, it feels so challenging to get our hand around. I, I, I was sitting in this Wednesday gathering and I came in pretty heavy, um, carrying some pretty heavy burdens and some things I couldn't articulate, some, some petitions I felt like I, at a soul level I had from the Lord, but I couldn't put it into words. And so I just, in the, in the back corner, just began to pray and, and eventually started praying in tongues. And I don't, I don't do this often, guys. I don't. I, but I began to pray, and I began to feel the Lord meet me in that prayer. And as I talked about last week, sometimes tongues is a way in which the Spirit of God intercedes for us when we don't have the words for it. And I felt that happen. And then all of a sudden, listen to me, all of a sudden my words turned from tongues into actual words that the Lord was giving. He was giving me understanding of what was even in my own soul. And he was helping me understand. And I was now praying in tongues and praying with my mind. If you're wondering how these gifts operate, spend some time with some people that that operate in them. Let's spend some time as a church learning together how to pursue these gifts. Are we going to do that in lots of different ways? What about other spiritual gifts? So again, I talked about the reason that Paul is talking about tongues and prophecy here is because those are the particular offenders for the church at Corinth. But there are lots of gifts. We saw some of them in 1 Corinthians 12. We see some of them listed in other parts of Scripture. The point of gifts, I'm going to demystify it. The point of gifts is that God puts things in you for the good of others. If you love them and move towards them, you're going to find yourself working in gifts whether you recognize their gifts or not. I don't really care whether you can label it. I want you to care about others, listen to the Spirit, and be present with them. And we're going to do that together as a community in humility, willing to be corrected if we get it wrong, but knowing that even if we're corrected, it's that we might pursue these more wholeheartedly. So a few questions I'm going to hit really fast that have emerged, I think, I think I just want to name them. We're not, I'm not going to answer them fully right now, but I want to name them because I think they're in the room. The first would be this. If I don't know what my gifts 
are, how do I learn what they are? Well, it comes to what I just said. I want you to go be present with people, loving them, listening to the spirit and just following Jesus in that encounter. And what you'll find is that there are patterns. There are patterns. There are things in which somebody will say, hey, I don't know if you realized the way you served me or served that person, but I saw it. You want to know how you're going to find your gifts? Serve people. Serve them. And over time, I think you'll get clarity as you listen to the Spirit on what some of those gifts are. How do I know if what I'm doing is real? If I'm speaking in tongues, if it's prophecy, like how do I know if it's real? Here's what I want to say. There's two things. This is, a, this is overly simplistic, but there are two things to keep in mind. Does it fit with scripture and does it edify either you or someone else? Those are two really good questions to start with. Does it line up with scripture and does it edify? Those two questions will get you a long ways to knowing, is this a gift of the spirit? Does it work? Third, what if I don't want the gifts? What if I don't want them? There's a lot of reasons why we might not want them. Most of those are probably tied to either abuses that we've seen or wounds that we carry. Maybe it just leads to the mysterious and the weird, or it comes from that. Let me just say this. I'm not asking you to just get over that. I'm saying that when God gives you gifts, I think he's also going to give you the desire to move towards them. So maybe you don't have the gift, or you, maybe you don't have the gift of tongues, and you don't want the gift of tongues. Here's the deal: if the Lord's going to give you the gift of tongues, I think He's going to give you the desire for it at some point too. My point is, I'm not interested in you pursuing the gifts by in and of themselves. They're not an end. Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus. That's what matters. Pursue Jesus. Pursue others, and then see what God does. Third or fourth or whatever question I'm on right now. What do I do with my questions? I'm assuming you have questions. If you don't, I don't think you were listening. Or you should have been up here, which is fine. Then somebody would have gotten more instruction and less coughing. If you have questions, so do I. I do. I've studied this for a really long time. I've read lots and lots of books on spiritual gifts. And there's still questions I have. There's still things I don't fully understand. Here's what I want to ask is us as a church, let's patiently and diligently pursue them together. If you want, I'd love to grab lunch or coffee with you and process this. Love to grab some time talking after the service here or, or some other time to talk through this. I've got books we can recommend. We've got things that, but like, all I'm just saying is like, hey, don't stuff those questions in a back corner somewhere and not pursue them. Bring those questions into the community and let's pursue them together. And then lastly, this. What if I'm not convinced? What if I don't think that all these gifts exist? Am I welcome here at Frontline? The answer is very clearly yes. Yeah, we're a spirit-filled church, and we're not going to apologize for that. But we are a Jesus-centered church, first and foremost, period. Not everybody here agrees with everybody, and that's okay. Not everybody's going to agree on every point of theology, and that's okay. You have a place here. It's the gospel that unites us, not our views of the gift that unites us. It's the gospel that unites us. So here's what I'm going to say is if you're not convinced, I'm not going to try to twist your arm. I'm just not. I'm going to ask you to study the scriptures. I'm going to ask you to stay committed to the body of Christ. I'm going to ask you to pursue love. And I'm just going to ask you to be open to the work of God in you and through you. You might be surprised at what he does. Let's pray. Would you stand with me?